Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Isaiah chapter 47. The June series that we're about is uh, an interesting one, and with all the joy of worship, I'm tasked with the uh, very challenging work of presenting the wonderful theme of God foretells destruction. Now, this series explores the, not only the predictions of the future destruction of Babylon, and this is consistent with, your, with some of your class's Sunday school materials. These events were also an evidence of God's power at work to not only grant mercy, but to grant redemption, redemption to the penitent and to restore God's people to a state of peace and prosperity. Now, there would be many here this morning that we would say, we, we're mostly at peace, but then there is this thing going on in my life. Or then there's this area that I'm struggling with. You know, people don't always just have either peace or either turmoil. It's, life is often mixed with both. And we have this interesting mix in the theme of today in which... God is not only foretelling destruction for the Babylonian Empire, um, but he is doing it with a clear message for all of us. Uh, and now, if you remember, God was, uh, uh, had turned over the children of Israel to captivity in Babylon because of their sinfulness and because of their rejecting of God's ways. And, and I know this doesn't seem to be a particularly popular message today, as I've shared in recent weeks, that the fact that God actually cares about right and wrong. But he always has, and he always will. And the way that we embrace and celebrate the right is by recognizing what's wrong, not only in the world, but within our own hearts as well. The first half of chapter 47 is a very interesting uh, imagery of the treatment and the, the downfall from elegance, from beauty, from wealth, and from a blessed state for a woman to being taken down and uh, down to the to the dirt of the ground with nothing. And you have that contrast in the first half of this chapter. And that contrast was basically to say to Babylon, you who consider yourselves so phenomenal, the great kingdom of the world right now, you have forgotten and turned away from me. And because of that, the Lord is giving grace to the children of Israel. And it is not only the prediction of a judgment for the Babylonian Empire, it's a prediction of release from captivity that will come next week. Let's look at the passage, uh, starting at verse 10 in chapter 47. And this is God's words to the Babylonian Empire. You have trusted in your wickedness, and you have said, no one sees me. 
Your wisdom and your knowledge mislead you when you say to yourself, I am, and there is none beside me. Now remember that phrase, because I will come back to that. Disaster will come upon you, the Lord says, and you will not know how to conjure it away. A calamity will fall upon you that you cannot ward off with a ransom. A catastrophe you cannot foresee will suddenly come upon you. Keep on then with your magic spells and with your many sorceries which you have labored at since childhood. Perhaps you will succeed. Perhaps you will cause terror. All the counsel you have received has only worn you out. Let the astrologers come forward, those stargazers who make predictions month by month. And we hear those every now and then again in our news. Uh, It's a new prediction, a new prophecy. Let them save you from what is coming upon you. Surely they are like stubble. The fire will burn them up. They cannot even save themselves from the power of the flame. Here are no coats to warm anyone. Here is no fire to sit by. That is all they can do for you. These who have labored with and trafficked with since childhood. Each of them goes on in his error. There is not one that can save you. So that's pretty harsh, right? We know from experience Whenever you feel really great about yourselves, something else is coming. Let me tell you a little story to get started. A large company uh, was feeling it was time for a shakeup. That happens pretty often with companies. They hired a new CEO. This new boss was determined to rid this company of all slackers. You know what a slacker is. They slack. They slack off on their work and whatever. He was determined to change this. And on a tour of the facilities, he's walking through and um, he sees this guy leaning on a wall, just leaning there. He's not working at all. The room was full of workers and he wanted to let them know that he meant business. And the new CEO walked up to this guy and, that was leaning against the wall and asked him, how much money do you make a week? A little surprised, the, the, the guys looked at him and replied, I make about $300 a week. Why? The CEO then handed the guy a $1,200, $1,200 in cash and, and, and said, here, here's four weeks to pay. Now get out and don't come back. That was really showing it to the rest of the workers that he meant business, no slackers. Feeling pretty good about himself, he looked around the room and he asked, does anybody want to tell me what that goof-off did here? From across the room, a voice came and said, he was the pizza delivery guy from Domino's. (laughs) He had five guys quit that day to go work for Domino's. No, I made that part up. 
It's a story that illustrates the fact that whenever we think we're all that, we will be brought low. Whenever we think that the good things in life and the great things that the blessings that we have are because we're really that accomplished and skilled and able to bring that about on our, on our own, we, we tend to take on the glory of it. We tend to act as if it's ours. And that was God's major beef with the Babylonian Empire. They felt and thought that they were above all wisdom, that they had somehow attained all they had because of their own strength and their own might. And I don't have time, but there's a wonderful history uh, that, that you can read about this. To sum it up, basically, uh, the, the issues that God was addressing had to do with issues of a, of a whole nation that was tyrannical, oppressive. They had taken the treatment of the children of Israel to another level that many places, many other countries, when they took people into, into exile, they took it to a, another level of abuse and meanness and another level of poor treatment that was terrible. And they were trusting that the more tyrannical, the more oppressive, the more harsh they could be, the stronger they were. And isn't that what we have in our country? It's, people don't talk about it. I remember in high school, uh, it's probably the only thing I remember from high school uh, history classes. I, I won't take time to go into that side note. Um, but I remember talking about uh, there was a chapter about rugged individualism. And if there's one thing that you see that is consistently called on throughout scripture is the fact that when we believe that we did it, we start puffing up, taking control. We think that, that all of this comes from our efforts. And the Babylonian empire was being confronted by a God who said, yeah, that's not going to get you very far. They were boasting of their abilities. They were teaching a, a, a whole mantra of relying on themselves. They pointed to their success, even their success with all of these sorceries. So they were at the height of their prosperity and didn't realize how close they would be coming to downfall. Isaiah 46. So one of the things in your Bible studies you should always look at is if you're studying any scripture, you should basically consistently look at what comes after it and what comes before it or before it first and then after. Either way, look both directions. See what the context of it is. See what God is saying about this. And, you know, when people go through really difficult times and you realize that you aren't capable of doing this on your own, those are the moments that you look back and see where you've come from and ask again the question, now where is God leading me going forward? How am I going to make it through is another term we use. 
How am I going to get through this, this course that I, I really am struggling with, uh, this exam that is, I don't feel ready for? Whatever it is, we, we have these issues and we look forward and we look back. Well, in, as we look back on this one, in the end of chapter 46, it says this in verse 12. Listen to me, you stubborn-hearted, you who are now far away from my righteousness. I am bringing my righteousness near. It is not far away, and my salvation will not be delayed. I will grant salvation to Zion, my splendor to Israel. And it's promising them. It doesn't mean that they will all reject God. But for God to say that his righteousness is not going to be far away, that it's near, doesn't that remind you of what Jesus told the disciples when he sent them out to share the gospel and to share who Jesus was, to share the good news? He said, some may reject you, and when they do, you simply say, know this, that the righteousness, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. And so uh, I think that, that we want to talk a little bit about, um, I'm just going to draw four, four quick lessons from, from this passage. The first thing is that we're challenged with trusting in human power and control. Human power over others. That is what our culture teaches. If you have control of something, you have power. If you can control and, and organize something, that gives you an ability that you wouldn't have if you didn't have control. And so like this CEO of the company that comes in, He's going to have really big control over this. He's going to be the one that dictates. But you know the verse, has anybody thought of the verse yet? Pride cometh before the fall. Anytime we grasp this idea that we are in control, we will learn very quickly that we're not. Very quickly. Uh, I was in Costa Rica and there was a group of students that were given a weekend at, a, at a, 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 an out-of-the-way beautiful place. I think it was called Manuel Antonio. It was, it was a, a, a place where there were a ton of beaches that were very famous but very remote. And my friend and I Brent, were tasked by the other eight in the group to walk the two miles back to a paid telephone and call the directors and tell them that the bus schedule was such that we couldn't come back till a day later. Oh, I, we knew we were going to, you know, I was like, oh, sure it didn't, right? You just want to stay another day. Well, anyway, we, we decided to do that. On the way back, Brent and I thought, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we... Were, could say that we went, we swam in each of these beaches. The problem was there was one beach that had a sign with a big red marker circle and a slash through it that said, I mean, because some of them said muy peligroso, which means very dangerous. This one said 
might as well have said, you're a goner if you, I mean, it was like no swimming allowed in this one because about 50 to 100 yards out from where you were standing out of the water, the shelf dropped off and there were sharks and there was an undertow that was so strong and we were very foolish. Obviously, you know, I didn't die from that near-death experience. But Brent and I went out into this and we waded up to almost our waist. And we could feel the tremendous pull of the undertow. It just was pulling hard on our legs. And we just went a little bit too far and both of us went down. And we were under the water. Of course, I didn't know at the time until we compared notes. But both of us literally experienced, I don't know how many yards I went, but I just felt my body tumbling. And so for all of, okay, now, if you don't know me well enough or if you're new, I, a little, this is going to be tongue-in-cheek, so I just want you to understand. What I re- didn't realize that in all of my great athletic prowess and capabilities as, a, as a, someone who played sports, in all of that, I was a rag doll tumbling underneath the, the current and had no control at all. And after a, about four or five seconds, I made a move that uh, where I just went out like a crab on the, on the sand and then slowly got back up to my feet and walked out. And right at the same time, Brent was doing the same thing. And we're like, how'd you get out of it? And he goes, well, I did the crab thing. So yeah, somewhere along the way, we apparently had, had good parents and we, we learned. <laughs> you know, when you're in trouble, when you realize you're out of control, go back to the basics and get to the point where you're stable before you try and stand up. Both of us walked out of that realizing that we literally had come. We would have washed out to sea. I'm not a swimmer. Okay, so that probably tells you something about my intelligence in going into beaches. But we were this close to death. This close. A couple more seconds of being out of control and we wouldn't have even been able to stand up. It would have been too deep. And there was no way we were going to swim against that tide. What is the point of that whole story? The point of that story is that until we recognize that we aren't able to be in control, we are going to be opening ourselves to being washed along in life, to being washed away from our purpose, from our friends, from our community. And, um, and so trusting in our control and power never really works. We're also called, and this was what God had a real problem with, with the Babylonian country was the boasting in their abilities. They were claiming success. They were claiming a superior wisdom. They were claiming that they were great, the greatest nation ever. 
oh, we've never heard that before, right? We never heard, oh, we're the greatest nation ever. Of course we have. But we aren't alone. And every nation and every place or every person that has ever claimed to be the greatest. And uh, I remember, you know, who the greatest boxer was. He got an airplane one time, Mr. Muhammad Ali. I loved watching him box. He He was incredible. He got an airplane one time and the stewardess said, Mr. Ali, you're going to have to buckle your seatbelt. And he said, he said, uh, hey, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And the, the stewardess fired right back at him and said, yeah, well, Superman don't need no airplane either. <laughs> buckle it up, buddy. <laughs> and, uh, and so until we're able to recognize that, But we think that we have these great abilities. And in our arrogance and our condescension, we think about, oh, you know, um, I'm not like them. And and I'm so much better. And we end up then when things go wrong, blaming others uh, and, and not taking responsibility for it. One of the things that the Babylonians were especially being challenged with was their pride and haughtiness and the great counsel of themselves and it is interesting that they use the phrase in verse 8 and 10 I am and no one else beside me you know and none else besides me that that whole reference to I am and God accusing them of basically taking God's name Essentially saying because in scripture, I am was how God described himself. I am who I am, God says. And basically what God was saying is, you think that you have taken my place. You're so great, you don't need me. You're so great that you can do everything without me. And that is going to be your downfall. Third, they were relying on themselves And as we do, we rely on ourselves for prosperity and and pleasure Uh, to get things done. We we end up mistrusting others. We move away from community because other people just won't cooperate with our greatness. People won't understand. I would guess that there's more than a few uh, families and marriages that have this argument uh, about who knows best on a given issue. And there are debates and there are arguments. I liked, uh, Dwight Lehman once heard a missionary tell how he was trying to translate um, in the Bible into a particular tribal language and found it hard to translate the word pride and, um, and at least the concept of it. He finally came to the idea to use their word or words for ears being too far apart. In other words, he conveyed the idea of an inflated head. That literally was what it meant in their language. And it was, it was probably hard to improve on that, don't you think? When we talk of pride, there's too much space between our ears. We think, we talk about it as having a big head, but we have an inflated head, an inflated ego, an inflated sense of how much and how great we are in our prosperity. 
Well, Jesus was talking about this in Matthew 23. Let me just read a couple of verses there. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not, but they do not, but not to do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. So if we preach it, we better live it. If we believe it, we're called to practice it. That is what Jesus is pointing out here. He says they tie up heavy and cumbersome loads, put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect and in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But here's what Jesus says. But you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. You get the point here. He sums it by saying, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus gave in the book of John his own list of I am's and the importance of that. But um, we're, we're really called to come to grips with this tendency to take the, or to be able to claim all of our accomplishments for ourselves. The subtlety of pride, uh, Paul Powell addressed it in one of his writings, he said, pride is so subtle that if we aren't careful, we'll be pr- proud of our humility. When this happens, our goodness becomes badness, our virtues become vices. We can easily become like the Sunday school teacher who having told the story of the Pharisees and the publicans, said, now children, let's bow our heads and thank God that we are not like the Pharisee. That, that, duplicity is constantly there in front of us and so the fourth thing that that God is confronting is being dependent on the powers of earthly things and if you go back and read verses 11 to 14 I won't take time this morning but it has references to their magic spells their sorceries and all of the the great counsel they were getting as if somehow Uh, that was going to keep Babylon from the destruction that God was basically promising it wasn't. So we need to deal with the issue of pride and inflated heads. The humble will be exalted and the prideful will be brought low. Thomas Aquinas said, inordinate self-love is the cause of every sin. The root of pride is found to consist in man not being in some way subject to God and his rule. 
I liked what C.S. Lewis said about it. He said, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Ann Landers said it this way. So I'm trying to cover the range here for everybody. Don't accept your dog's admiration as conclusive evidence that you are wonderful. <laughs> Cheryl, just, I know how much you love maple. St. Augustine said this, it was pride that changed angels into devils. It is humility that makes men angels. I think it's important that we seek to come back to understanding who we are in God. And the only way to do that is by surrender. Surrender all our idols, surrender all our dependencies, but one, and that being on Christ, in Christ alone. Surrender all our possessions, our pleasures, our pride. Surrender our plans, pursuits, and purposes. Surrender all control to put our trust in God. That is how we end up finding the blessing of God, coming out of captivity. That is how we end up experiencing the grace, the forgiveness, and the ability to start again. This message of a upcoming destruction is, has been there and been prophesied for years. And I would just say, but God is still listening to his people and yearning for his people to turn. So whether it's personally for you, whether it's in your relationships, or whether it's in your whole purpose in life, surrendering to God is the way that you are built up. It's the way that you find great joy and peace. It's the way that God will use you for his kingdom. God can make those sit silently that use, used to make great noise in the world. He can send those into darkness that used to make the greatest figure. Let him that glories, therefore, glory in God that changes not and not in worldly wealth, pleasure, or honor, but are subject to change. So as the team comes up, we're going to sing a song that is really a prayer for us. is for God to give us clean hands, for us to lay ourselves slow. And what a blessing it was to have Mark share his testimony this morning and what he's been through. And we want to continue to not just pray for him, but we want to recognize this morning that every one of us is in that need of grace and in that need of each other to support and encourage. May we have clean hands, pure hearts for the Lord.